You're going to love my next guest. Chris Yates stopped by the podcast. He's a former New Zealand police constable serving for many years with distinction and honor until he started suffering with his own mental challenges. Now, Chris came out the other side, and now he is helping first responders everywhere. You do not want to miss this episode. Chris Yates on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the CJ Evolution Podcast. I'm your host and creator, Pat Fitzgibbons. Thank you for being here and listening to our little show. If you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. I'm sure you're going to love the content and the guest we have on. If you are a long-time listener, welcome back. And if you would give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast, we sure would appreciate it. Special thanks to you, the criminal justice professional, the first responder professional, going out every day doing 150%. Thank you so much for what you do. The vast majority of Americans support you. Remember, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. You know, I struggled for a long time with depression, isolation, even suicidal ideation. Maybe you or somebody you know is struggling right now. You do not have to suffer in silence. I thought I did for many years until I reached out and asked for help. FHE Health and their Shatterproof Program for First Responders saved my life. If you are struggling, please do not waste another minute. Contact me today, 303-960-9819. Let me help you get the treatment you need and deserve. Here's a good message, an inspiring message from my good friend, Jimmy Keefe. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited to have my next guest all the way from New Zealand. He flew into it. No, I'm just kidding. He's we do it. We're doing it virtual. Chris, our uh, Chris uh, Chandler Yates is on the show, former New Zealand constable. And now he's continuing to give back to the first responder community. Chris, what's up, brother? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. I um, it's been a, it's been a while. We had you on my podcast. Oh, that was over a year ago. That was, I know it's been a long time. It's been it's a long been time. A long it's time. Good to and, see you, man. And it's good to see you, brother. And it's amazing how things change in in, in a mm. year. You know, I yeah. mean, they change. Things in my life have changed dramatically for the for the better. Yeah, and I imagine things have changed for you too. Hopefully, for the better. Definitely, definitely for the better. I've gotten a lot more clear on things. Gotten um a lot more direction. 
exactly uh, and, and I'm, yeah it's it's good i'm i'm real pa- the thing that i'm doing now compared to a year ago i'm even more passionate about so it's it's going to be good to talk about stuff today absolutely and i and i know you grew up in california right you do you spent some of your yep. time in, in california and then you eventually found yourself in new zealand and yep. then you got into the police service as a constable in new zealand and i know we were talking about it a little before we started i mean how different it is, is it between like United States and policing and, and where you're at, New Zealand. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of, of different things, right? Yeah, there's a ton of differences. Just to back up so that people are aware of like kind of my background. I was born in Redding, California. So uh, way up north, uh, the proper northern California. Uh, <laughs> so almost to Oregon. Uh, and I left there when I was 13. My parents took me sailing around the world with my little brother. And I would run on a 40-foot catamaran in, in 2000. Oh my uh, God, that's amazing. Yeah, and grew up sailing around the world for just shy of five years, uh, and that's how we ended up in New Zealand. The experiences so, that you oh, must have the, had. The, the, it really built me on, if I look back, and you know, I do talks on podcasts and even public speaking for businesses, and, and the big thing that it showed me going back through all that is the resilience. The, yeah. the the fight you know that that taking care of people and when stuff goes wrong you keep fighting uh, and I honestly believe that that's why I'm still standing here in front of you is because of that because of you know where I ended up being a police officer um which I'll talk about but yeah yeah so we started in the Caribbean through Panama Canal South Pacific and then ended up here and then I really had no idea what I wanted to do <laughs> uh and so it ran I, I want to go back on the boat up- <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I was I was actually on track to uh, doing my skipper's ticket, like my yacht masters and stuff. Yeah, and then met who's now my wife uh, at a random barbecue at her place that I got invited to by a mutual friend. Yeah, and decided actually I I want to I want to kind of settle down a little bit more. And I was twenty at the time. Yeah, uh, and so I just started trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then her brother actually said, "Hey, we should join the police force <laughs> to give you a little bit of background." I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a rebellious kid. <laughs> like, like a lot of kids. Respect. Yeah, I had utmost respect for police, but I was like, like in the past, like when I was younger, I was like, no way. I wasn't one of those people that was like from the early age. I have to be a cop. But I they make those make the best cops, brother. Oh, they do. They yeah, definitely they make the, the ones best that, cops. The ones, that, the ones that drive from the very beginning make actually make a much I, from the experience that I've had helping people get into the place and training place, the ones that were wanting to become a cop from a very young age, um, actually do it for a lot longer because they have a lot bigger purpose and drive to sure. it uh, sure. and have a, have a more emotional attachment to it. So yeah, mine was kind of a random, bro, we should join and be like bad boys. And so it was that <laughs> tactical fun side of things why I wanted to join, <laughs> which isn't a bad reason, but it's not the best reason in my eyes. Uh, and then I saw a train crash happen when I was visiting uh, LA and uh, 18 people died that day. And I didn't see the traffic crash happen, but I saw it on the news and we drove past where it had happened and yeah. it just seeded in and concreted in why I want to become a, a police officer. So the next day I started running for that police entry test. You know, they're not easy, especially if you didn't, if you haven't done any sure, training, a sure. whole lot of huge training dedicated to it. Uh, and then, yeah, got LASIK eye surgery and the, the path continued and then became a cop here. I joined the New Zealand police in 2011. Uh, and when I was younger, I had had interactions with cops. My parents knew the sheriff of our town and, you know, had, had so had respect for them, knew kind of an idea of what they did. But yeah, way different policing here. We still, even to this day, they don't carry guns on their hips. 
So wow. just throwing that out there, um, you it throws a different aspect in. Now, do but you also, have the ability to get weapons? Readily? So when I first started, when I first started, all of the firearms were in the sergeant's vehicle. So the sergeant, you see, so had to meet at a safe forward point. So if it was an arm, what we called an armed incident, where it was like, okay, deemed, let's take firearms with us. And normally there was some sort of firearm presented, or um, the person had firearms in their house. Then we would meet at a safe forward point, kit up, put our ballistic vest on, put firearms on. One of us would have an AR, uh, because normally we're two up here in Auckland, at least rural, they're one up, but we have an AR um bushmaster and then a glock 17 and so one of us would have the glock and one of us would have the bushmaster wow one it works and so it that works in new zealand i mean right it, it did it it, it 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 did for a long time uh and so that it was like that and then about i think it was about six twelve it was about six months in 12 months in then they put one glock and one rifle in each frontline vehicle just uh, one, so glock. You, one, glock. Yeah, <laughs> one glock and one rifle uh, and so if there's two of you, the driver normally got the Glock and the passenger got the, the Bushmaster, the AR-15. Uh, and so, yeah, and so we had that and then it was deemed, it was up to your perceived accumulative assessment, whether you kitted up to a job uh, or not. We also only had one taser per vehicle and wow. that was in the lockbox as well. And so you had to, again, deem if it was over assault, if it was assaultive or above, then you could put it on and take it. So, yeah, so that was my stuff. And then I got out in 20, took leave without pay 2017, 20, I think it was 2018 or 2019. They put tasers on every single front line. So every patrol officer, pretty much every cop now that is going to interact with people uh, has a taser now. And then I think about a year after that, maybe it was 2019. They put uh, two Glocks and two rifles in every vehicle, but they're still in a lockbox. Wow. So, yeah. And so, yeah, so you have that. That's kind of the situation here versus the U.S. doing ride-alongs with friends and that, you know, they're walking up to cars with their hand on pistol and, you know, scanning. It's completely different. But what it does, what I feel it does really well is want to bring, it builds that that rapport between yeah, people. Yeah, communication there piece. Isn't yeah. The, and the communication is next level. I only in my seven and a half years of policing and my last three and a half were on diplomatic protection. So if I was operational, I had a Glock on my hip. Yeah. Uh, but what it did for me during my frontline policing is it, it caused me to really get good at communication. And I only ever used OC spray once. And that's because the guys we went to arrest them. He was, he tried to, he, he tried to run away and, and punched my partner and, and ran out the door and I chased him. And then instead of just trying to fight with him, I just sprayed him to stop him Yeah, um, with OC spray. But that's the only use of force that I ever used. And we're, we're and we're, you, you know, this Chris, I mean, I, I think United States, I mean, I love the United States. I'm an American. So are you, I mean, you, yeah. you know you were born oh, i here. love it there <laughs> but but i think the united states is much more violent i would assume than, than yeah the threat level is a lot higher and this is what people don't understand is the threat level is high the chance of a firearm being in a vehicle in the u.s is like in the 90 oh, yeah i was gonna say 90 percent you know 90 plus percentile here when i was policing it was probably in the 50s maybe yeah. 40s 50s which is still now high it's but it's which not is still it's, high but but you know it's not it's not terrible but whereas now it's getting up to that stage where it's probably more in the 70s 80s now did um, you did you have a problem chris being an american yeah you went over there you sailed the, the world you know for five years with with your family 
and then you settled in New Zealand. Did you find it difficult being an American to to get on as a constable, or was that not a challenge because they're like, oh, there's an American? You know what I mean? No, I mean, there was it... yeah, no, there was no real challenge to that. Um, or did you get any blowback questions. from the community because you're an American? Oh, I used to get it a little bit like you know that kind of oh, where are you from? And I'd just be like, I'm from Auckland. You wouldn't say I'm from California. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, just because they do it. A lot of times they do it to kind of rock you up because they hear the accent and like you probably hear me and you go, oh, you've got an accent. Well, I, I, I'm over here and they think I've got an accent as well. So they hear it. And so you didn't get too much. It would be a thing of you could build that as some sort of um, sure. stuff. You did get that kind of occasionally they'd be like, oh, you're just an American, blah, blah, blah. You're going to use all this for I'm like, uh, I've lived here longer than I lived in the U.S. You don't know me. Yeah, and plus you want that <laughs> so you diversity. You want that diversity yeah. on oh, your department. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you want that. And I always get confused, forgive my ignorance, Chris, but I always get confused between an Australian accent and a yep. New Zealand accent i know there's differences that you could yeah there is differences. you could probably don't pick up me, right don't away. ask me really what they are i can't <laughs> pick them right away my wife can because she's a she's a well, kiwi kiwi uh, yeah. yeah new zealander so she can pick it right away i'm still i get because it's words well, right i mean it's different word pronunciation it's different accent it's different accent. different accent it's a little bit harder the accent in australia is a little bit harder than new zealand uh it's kind of like a canadian versus an american it's the same sort of or, or Californian versus a new, you know, New Jersey. Sure. You yeah. can kind of tell the difference a little bit, but sometimes it's like, it's just those certain words. It's like when I come back to the U S I, people will be like, Oh, where are you from? And then I'm there for like a month and they, they like, they're like, Oh, you, you sound like my friends will be like from the U S they're like, Oh, you sound like an American again. Oh yeah. And it's because yeah. of the slang words and the yeah. different act, you know, emphasis that you put on yeah. different. Things. So you, you were constable for several, several years. Yeah. Uh, in New Zealand. I mean, what made you get out of the service? What made you kind of leave first responders behind? Uh, I, that's not, that didn't sound right. Just kind of <laughs> retire and separate. Yeah, from... yeah, yeah. Sep <laughs> yeah separate out. <laughs> you know, hang up the vest. Yeah, yeah. Finally. Hang up the uh, vest. What really made me do it was because I, I found a new I found a new what served me. I found yeah. a new direction of what served me. But the reason that I got to that stage was, was because I was burned out and yeah. PTSD. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just, I uh, was, so I suffered. I, I went through it a couple of times within the police. Uh, I lost myself was the real reason. Um, I didn't know who I was. And this is why I do what I do now is helping people really know who they are before they get to that stage of not knowing who they are. And when and you, you know who you are, then you're a much better police officer because you can bring yourself instead of bringing the image you think you need to. And so and I, I, I burned out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I burned out and almost got a divorce, almost burned my whole life down. I was probably steps off of suicidal. I would, I ride a motorcycle, still do. And I would go ride it as hard and as fast as I could. And then I'll honestly break the law and go into corners as fast than I should do things outside my skill level just to feel things because I had no mm. emotion at all. And I'm a very emotional guy. So yeah. And I, and I, and that's I, why I got out and it's powerful. I mean, when you, you know, you say you lost yourself. I mean, that's, that resonates with, with a lot of people. I mean, I lost myself too, after I left mm. and you know, it's, it, 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 you, sometimes you have to go through the crap, the shit, right. To, to, to experience, you know, all that anguish and depression and suicidal ideation uh, and some people, a lot of people don't make it out of that stage. You know that, Chris, but you came out 
And I love what you said about, okay, now you have a purpose, you know, just like I have a purpose. And I never thought in a million years that I would go from law enforcement working essentially in healthcare, which is what I do, <laughs> but I'm very passionate about it, just like you are. Mm. And, you know, I think so many people out there, brother, just kind of wander around through life, not knowing what their purpose is. You know, it's kind of like yeah. Forrest Gump, you know, in the feather. You know, where it's just kind of floating around in the air and you know, kind of goes where people, you know, the wind takes them. And yeah. to have that purpose now and that mission and drive is really a remarkable thing because I don't think a lot of people have it. No, no, they don't. Not just in law enforcement, but in really a lot of different. Um, Absolutely. Most, pe most people struggle to really clear, like they have an idea of it. And I use the analogy, you know, especially for police officers, it's like shooting at, a, shooting at your target at the firing range with a blindfold on. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, occasionally you'll hit the target. Maybe you'll hit the bullseye. Occasionally you get excited when you hit the target, you know, you hear it hit the paper or somebody standing next to you goes, Oh yeah, you hit it. You hit it. But once you actually have a clear purpose and you know where it comes from and why it's there, the blindfold comes off and you, you hit the bullseye regularly yeah. over and over and over and over. And you get extremely clear on what you need to do in order to feel fulfilled. Yes. Because you actually yeah. know who you are now. Absolutely. Now, leaving. So what was the the pivotal moment? What was the catalyst moment? You left law enforcement because you were in, you know, you're suffering from PTSD and all that stuff. Was that, did you start to feel better after that? I imagine you did because now you're, you know, you, you left that stressful environment. But did you, did you seek counseling? Did you do other, other things to kind of help you get better? Or, or was it just leaving first responder field? No, it was definitely not leaving. Uh, it was, so I went through burnout a couple of times. The major time was probably 2015 and 2016, uh, to put some emphasis. I then didn't go on leave without pay until mid 2017, resigned in 2018. Yeah. Uh, so in 2015, I was really going through the depths of it. And actually what the pivotal moment was, I almost cheated my wife. I was at a party at a mutual friend's house. My wife wasn't there. She's an event manager. She was working at an event. And so I went around to a friend's house, or maybe she's even out of town. I uh, went to a friend's house and a, a friend of theirs was there. And I found myself literally figuring out and going through the process and planning how to make a move on her. Like when I say move, like how to sleep with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I caught myself making that plan in my head and looking at her that way. And I went, who the hell are you, Chris? Like, what yeah. the hell is who going am on? I? Yeah. Who am I? Like, this is not you. Your parents cheated on each other. You always told your wife that you never would do that. What, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And that was the question that went through my head. And I literally got up and was like, Hey, I, I've got to, I've got to take off. I'm getting tired and left and did some stupid shit on my motorcycle on the way home, being pissed off at myself. Uh, and then went home and told my wife a couple of days later what happened and that I wanted a divorce. Like I was done. And so she oh. actually, I'd been to counseling before that after some suicides and feeling numb. Uh, and the counselors back then were okay-ish. Even the police one was kind of kind of more fed into what I was doing, whether that's my, you know, I take full responsibility. I probably didn't share everything, probably didn't go deep into it because that's what, what we did, what we do as police officers a lot of times. We're worried to share yeah. depth. Uh, and then, so yeah, so my wife went, look, we've been through a lot, uh, but you you owe me just for what we've gone through that you, we go to counseling one more try one more time and just give this another go and yeah. i don't know i'm not a religious guy but the universe was looking out for us that day 
put us in front of a counselor that we went to, which actually was about three weeks later because my wife had to go to South Africa for a work um, trip. And even during that trip, that time when she was away, I was still like going, okay, cool. Planning my, you know, leaving and thinking about packing and just really numb the whole time. I went to the counseling session. She had us both tell what was going on. And she goes, yeah, you both, you know, you guys have stuff going on relationship wise, but she's like, Chris, to be perfectly honest, you're so burned out. You can't see any light through the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so she rattled off all the, all the, all the different, um, symptoms of burnout like memory loss and fog and not being able to sleep and um feeling drained all the time um what was some of the other what are some of the other ones just literally feeling numb and she's like so long as you're doing the career that you're doing right now and i'm not she's like i'm not saying that you have to leave permanently but so long as you're going to work every day uh doing what you're doing you're never going to refill your tank and it's never going to make anything else better yeah yeah. And I, because I don't have to tell you, Chris, you know, this as well as the listeners. I mean, and I love law enforcement, but law enforcement is a toxic environment. You know, you, people don't call cops when things are going good. Right. I mean, they call when shit hits the fan. And then unfortunately, you know, you see something bad. That's just the nature of the job or you go through some trauma. And then that's all that people, you know, kind of talk about kind of the, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them, you know, it's just the negativity and it rubs off on you. You bring it home. And yeah, I mean, it's just one of those environments, you know, and I, I was the same way. I mean, I was married twice and I could have done things a lot better. And what you said really kind of resonated me again, resonated with me was we don't really open up to people. I mean, I do now, but when I was a cop, I I didn't really, I'd, I'd give little tidbits, you know what I mean? I'd give give, you know, my wife, like a little, you know, little piece of, you know, candy or something metaphorically speaking, you know, okay, this taster. is what I dealt with a little, little taster, <laughs> but a little taster, but then I would never get into the trenches with it. No. So, but yeah, I mean, once you start opening up, that's why it's so important is, you know, to start talking. And mm. for me, it was like a fear thing. It was an ego thing. You know, what are people going to think about me? And so I got a, to a point, man, where I was like, I don't give a shit what people think of me anymore. I'm well, doing this for me. I'll put this into perspective how dark I was at that stage and, and, and my belief on why you get that dark. Like you said, the environment that we're in is everything. I was so, I was so dark at that stage. Well, leading up to this, uh, 2015 into 2016, I was in California, my hometown, New Year's. And I was so, so paranoid that I was driving to my best friend's house from my grandma's and my uncle's Tacoma. And thought an early 2000 black Tahoe was following me oh, so much so that I pulled over and made it and like to let it pass me because I was like, you're following me. Why are you following me? And yeah, you're like freaking out. I, I went a few extra roads before I went to my best friend's house. Yeah. Now I'm in a city that nobody really knows me because I haven't lived there in 18, you know, 20 years. But you just get to that point, man. You get yeah. to that point. I and, was there paranoid. You know? Yeah. Yeah, paranoid all the time because I was doing diplomatic protection at the time as well. So I was trained to look out for people following us when we're running around with a VIP. And so, but then when we went to that counselor, two things she told us. One, 80% 80 of people won't make it from where you guys are right now and stay together. So 80% of people will not make it through it. Uh, and so we pride ourselves on that because we're both fighters. Uh, but then also my mind, as soon as she said, Chris, you need to take a break. My mind went to you hate cops 
And that's why you want one less on the street. That's why you're telling me to take a break. Wow. That is the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah. So, you know, and that's not a upbringing thing. That's a, that's a environment thing. Yeah. It's like that an environment. People thing. don't yeah. like cops that people are, you know, that people want less cops and, and that people are out to get us. And that comes from the environment that we're in. We say that we talk about it all the time. We put ourselves in that proximity of people around that. Uh, and that's the one, one of the number one things that I always say to people is you are the pro you are the average of the seven people you hang around with the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be aware of who you hang around with. Um, I know I didn't read it till afterwards, but the book, and you've probably heard, you've probably read it, or I think you might've even talked to the um, writer of it. Um, Emotional survival for law enforcement. Absolutely. Gil, Gil Martin, Dr. Yeah, Kevin Gil Martin. I didn't read it until after I left and I was about a year and a half out of the police and I was reading it and I don't read books very much. Just for <laughs> like, I think I've read, like I've listened to a lot more audio books in the last yeah. few years, but even still, I don't remember half of them because my yeah, attention yeah. just isn't, has never been great with books, but I physically read this book and it was, it's like one of probably on two hands amount of physical books I've read. And I read through it and it had me holding on like literally every night I was like, I'm, because it I was literally going to my wife. Was I doing this? And she's like, yep. Yeah. Like, was I doing this? And she's like, yep. I was like, whoa, okay. Like, wow, I was bad, wasn't I? Like I was in darkness. And yeah. so being aware of the things, and I'm not saying don't hang out with cops, but I'm saying be aware of what you say and how you act and what you, what you're, what, where you're putting your energy. Absolutely. And, and you, you hit on something. I was at a meeting today. I was speaking at a meeting today about how looping in a spouse or a partner or the family is so important because we forget about family, not intentionally sometimes, but a wife, a spouse, the kids, they're the ones that are catching the brunt of it. You know, when you come home and I think a lot of treatment centers, uh, we need to focus a little bit more on developing programs for, for family and spouses and stuff, because the spouse only knows what the, or the spouse or the partner or whatever only knows what the first responder is telling them. Right. That's it. Or what they see on the news. Or what they see on the news. And getting <laughs> and we back all know to what, cops that a lot of that is not true. <laughs> but what I, the one thing I do know, Chris uh, is I, I don't know how it is in New Zealand. I imagine, uh, even though I hate to assume I think, yeah, there's a lot of negativity out there, but I still think, maybe I'm just naive, that the majority of people out there support law enforcement. Maybe. I don't think they're as vocal as they used to be, no. but I do think they support law enforcement. Who wants to be in a world without law enforcement? Not me. You know, I, th um, I definitely agree with you there. U.S. has always, in my eyes, always been better. Uh, New Zealand has this thing, and I want to touch on two things. That you, one thing that you brought up and also this. Uh, New Zealand's got this tall poppy syndrome, they call it. They don't want to be that tall poppy that sticks its head up. And so <laughs> we hear, like, I remember I went to the U.S. and did a ride along in Hawaii and Maui. And I was with the two, with, with one of the, riding with one of the cops. We met up with another, another cop uh, for lunch at one of the ABCs. And they were buying some stuff. And as we were buying it, somebody walked up and goes to the two cops. Oh, let me buy you your lunch. Wow. Thank you for your service. Let me buy you lunch. And they're like, no, 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 you can't, you know, you don't need to do that. And they're like, no. And they like demanded that they let them buy the lunch. And so, but here you don't get that. Oh, wow. You not any, you don't not get that. 
I, in my whole police career, I think I had it done maybe two or three times. Okay. So it's and not as prevalent. From, no, that was from a place. I, I didn't have anybody want to buy me my lunch, but people wanted to give me a discount Yeah. of things when I was in uniform. And um, so, yeah, so we didn't have that. Like I even had when I was in my hometown, uh, somebody looked at me and a friend that was, that, I was, that was with me and he's ex-Israeli military. And we were there getting some lunch and the guy goes, oh, you guys, ex, like, I'm going to give you guys a discount. You look like you're ex-police or military. And we're like, oh, well, I'm ex, I'm ex-police international, like overseas. And he, he was like, oh, I'm ex-military from overseas as well. He's like, that's okay. Doesn't matter. Thank you. Yeah. And I was just like, I was still thrown back. Like, and this was when I was refining myself when I was on my trip that I took to the U.S. to refine myself. And I was like, it just starts to bring in that, you know, that whole, that whole focus of where you look, you find like you, you can look for it. You can see it. There is people out there that care about us as first, you know, everybody as first responders and police and military. If you look for it. Absolutely. Um, but it's you gotta also, take the blinders off. Yeah. You got to take the blinders off of everybody's. Everybody doesn't like me. Everybody's out to get me. And that's the language that, and it doesn't help that, you know, the media and the, all the different things that are going Social on, but media, you can always yeah. find, you can always find the gratitude. You can always find the fun and things and you have to be one of my uh, one of the uh, mentors said once uh, actually no it was tony robbins said at the beginning of covid got to be a gatekeeper of your own mind i love that big gatekeeper of your own mind because only you you have to decide what you want to let into it and so i've really remembered that then i wasn't a cop at the time but really remember that the other thing i wanted to touch on was the talking to your spouse my wife and i were actually talking about this what three nights ago uh, and I was like, would you have preferred, like, uh, she's talked to, we've talked about it quite a bit in the past, but I was like, you know, do you believe that if I had told you the gruesome details of going to things like my first week in the job, went to a guy who had been dead for three weeks, a couple yeah. weeks later, went to a guy who had jumped in front of a train. Mm -hmm. If I had told you, and I, since then I've told her a lot of, a lot of the different gruesome details. I was like, if I had told you the gruesome details when I was a cop, would it have given you PTSD? Would it have given you, would it have affected you? She's like, no, I wasn't there. She's like, what affected me? What gave me PTSD was the fact that you didn't tell me. And then you became a horrible, nasty guy. Because then she's probably thinking like my ex did something's wrong with me. Yep. So I'm doing something wrong. Yep. You know, until that, until that, you know, turns into resentment. Yeah right? Yeah, exactly. And she was like, she's like, if you had told me, I would have understood why you were quiet. I would have understood what you were doing. And I could have supported you more. Yeah. But she doesn't know what she doesn't know. Exactly. Exactly. But we're trained that way, right? We're trained in, in you know, being we're a trained cop to protect people. <laughs> we're trained to protect people. But as first responders, I'm not just talking about cops. I'm talking about fire, EMS, corrections. We're trained to suppress that emotion, right? Because you have to be you have to be viewed as the strong, you know, the, the capable one, the nothing Superhead. bothers me. But as you know, Chris, there's only so much shit that you can see. You know, there's so much liquid you can fill in a cup, right? Until it starts, if you don't turn off the faucet, this is going to overflow. So there's only so much as humans we can take trauma wise. You know, the average yeah. citizen, I'm not trying to discount what the average citizen sees. They see some horrific shit in their life, but first responders see it almost every day. Well, there was a study out of New York that I saw, and I can't find the study since, but I saw it on LinkedIn and read through it. Police see 18 times as much trauma in their first 12 months as a civilian will in their entire life. Absolutely. And we're not designed. And people nope. say, 
human people, mind is not designed to see half well, that amount. Well, and this is this is what you get sometimes. Well, you signed up for that. No, I didn't sign up to see dead babies. I didn't sign up to see, you know, see an OIS. I didn't. This you didn't sign up, Chris, to see somebody disintegrated by a train. Nope. Right. So I that I don't like. I wasn't given people, any tools to do. You weren't either. given any tools. I don't like when people say that. I don't like no. that when people say, "Well, you signed up for it." I signed up to yeah. help people, right? To, to yeah, kind of exactly. save lives. Yeah. But and, so, and so when I feel like I didn't save one, then, you know, oh, yeah. police also put a lot of pressure on themselves, man. We put all first responders, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be the hero, Absolutely. be that image. And again, I'll bring it back to it's because we don't know who we are. Yeah. A Absolutely. lot of police that I talk to that I've trained to get in. And also I train, you know, while, while they're getting in, they're bringing past traumas which have caused them to want to join. Like you take, for example, I wanted to join because of the fund initially, but then what really put me over the, over the edge to actually pulling the pin and going was a train crash. Yeah. Seeing cops pull bodies and people out of a burning train that had collided with a yeah. freight, uh, freight train, helping people being there in the time when nobody else can, when you have to be that special person. Absolutely. And there's not a lot and, of people out there that will do and that. And that's traumatic. Yeah, that's a, that's a dramatic thing. And if you haven't dealt with how that's affected you first, like a lot of the women that I have trained to get in have a lot of them have come from either sexual abuse or domestic violence, and they want to stop that. Yeah. Well, if you haven't dealt with your own stuff before that and recognized, okay, cool, this is what has pushed me to want to do it. But I can't fix my problems and everybody else. I got to fix my problems within myself. And they're not problems, hard challenges, but yeah, challenges within myself before I can actually feel like I'm actually doing it for somebody else. Otherwise you're always chasing the rabbit and you'll never catch it. Absolutely. And that's when you start to get resentful of the job, because again, you didn't know who you were before. Absolutely. That's, that's, I mean, that's a great point because most of us, like you said, deal with some sort of childhood trauma, things like that. We'll we have get, it. <laughs> yeah, we all have it. And we want to go and we want to save now and we want to help. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a good point, brother. Now you are doing amazing work now. With first responders, dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so the past uh, since I left the police uh, since 2019, I have helped at the time of this is like 602 clients oh uh, to either join the police or actually um, build their mindset to be the best police officer they can be. Now, how do you how do you do that? So it depends on which which stage they're at. Uh, if they're at the Good stage point. where they want to if they want to join the police, uh, it is through their fitness to start with. Uh, so I became a personal trainer when I left because fitness honestly saved my life. It was it was my release. It was my drug, to be honest. Um, yeah. I'm still extremely active, extremely fitness, but it's not a drug anymore. It's a pleasure. Uh, and so I help them through that, get them to pass their fitness testing, but teach them to extract the performance out of themselves by really knowing who they are. So it's the same tools I that it. I use for actual um, academy um, officers and then also through their first couple of years to really concrete things in. Uh, but it's really figuring out who you are and unleashing the traumas, the demons, as I call them, from your head and really figuring out what they're talking about. Uh, and so we do that through uh, finding who you are. Uh, and then the other way that, that I help people is uh, this is a new thing that I'm now working on. And I'm actually at the time of this recording coming back to the U.S. in March 2023 to work with police departments in the U.S. to get into academies in the first two years while you're developing as a police officer 
uh, to really know who you are and apply who you truly are to the role so that it doesn't drain you. It is consistently serving you and you're always able to do that. So I do both of those extract the performance and also get you to, um, really know who you are so that the less likely to have PTSD, the use of force stuff, the, the resentment to the job, the, you know, the negativity, um, less likely to have a divorce. Yeah, uh, police, exactly. Police has the highest divorce rate out of any career. And actually 2019, there's a stat that came out that it's, they're more like, you're more likely to, um, have a mental illness than any other career. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so do that through a seven step process, really knowing your, your why and your purpose, uh, really attaching it to some emotion and also when it happened, like when it was seated. So mine is helping myself and others truly see ourselves, uh, at also the level below that, um, which is why that train crash pushed, like tilted me was to create less pain for myself and others. Wow. So we create the best version of ourselves. So those are the two deep levels of my why that I drive from consistently. And I, I now realize why certain times in the police, I had so much passion for it because I was living from those. As soon as I had a partner assaulted and I blamed myself and I felt like I had gone completely against those, my whole career plummeted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so knowing those and then also changing the rules to it is probably the other big thing, the different languages that we use towards it. So for me to be seen, for me, it's just a matter of showing up. I have to show totally. up for me. That yeah. is me being seen. I don't have to be seen here on the podcast. I don't have to be seen. These are all byproducts of it, but I just have to show up to me. Absolutely. And so it's, it's, it's knowing that why, knowing that purpose uh, with a mission statement, as I told you my ones. Uh, and then it's um, just that really self-care. Yeah, side of stuff. absolutely. And I, and I love what you said about you know the, the mindset. I mean, it's mm -hmm. all amazing taking yeah. care of yourself, your fitness. It's amazing how, you know, some officers, they get in, they're in top shape, and then that gradually over time, they kind of, but it all starts with the mind, right? We can't control a lot of stuff out there. We can't control much stuff, but we can control the six inches between our brain, right? Yep. And I love what you said earlier about who you surround yourself with. That is, yep. that is key. If you're, if you're hanging out with the officers that are the go-getters that have a positive mindset, not that bad shit doesn't happen and they have bad days, but are constantly uplifted, you know, jazz for the job, you going out there and help people that's going to rub off on you. Why do you think let's, let's, let's put this into perspective of, of actual policing. Why do you think SWAT team guys never want to leave SWAT? Oh, because the camaraderie, the attitude, you know, the they're picking each other uplifting. up. You pick each other up. You always have each other's back. You're always talking good, positive language. They're not sitting there dissing and stuff. They're sitting there saying how great that that role went, what they could do better to improve, how they could grow and improve themselves. And they're focusing on the, the impact that they're making. Yeah, absolutely. That's why nobody wants to leave those specialty squads. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and you hit again on a, on a top area is is fitness. I mean, I don't have to yeah. tell you. But the listeners out there, I mean, you have got to take, you got this one body, right? You got to take care of it. You know, you got to put the right fuel in it. You, you know, you're not going to put your body's a Ferrari is what I heard a while ago. You know, you got to yep. treat it like a Ferrari. You can't treat it like, I'm probably get yelled at, but a Pinto or something. I don't even make Pintos anymore. But, yeah. you know, some some car that well, is the, like a junker. The body's everything, both yeah. nutrition-wise and also activity-wise, you know? If, if you want to bring, we'll, we'll keep the car analogy into it. You know, a Ferrari, if you know, if you leave a Ferrari out in the sun 
and you leave a Ferrari sitting out in the desert or near the ocean, you never wax it, you never wash it, you never look after it, and it rusts away and falls apart and never runs right. If yeah. you don't, if you put crap fuel in it, you put like 87 octane, like 90% <laughs> ethanol fuel in it, how's it going to run? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's so much, I don't have to tell you this. I mean, you know this, Chris, is the, the, the foods and stuff. Do we all cheat occasionally? Absolutely. But if you're putting the majority, you know, if you're putting good fuel in your body, that's going to affect your moods. That's going to depract your affect your depression if you have it, right? Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, it's going all that stuff is going to affect. It it. starts minds. It starts with mindset because if you don't have a good mindset on your on your head, then you won't put any meaning to those foods. You won't put any meaning to that exercise, Uh, and you have to be able to apply it to yourself. I remember for years, I used to go to the shooting range. I used to go to the gym. And I used to work on my this, the big American truck that I have here. <laughs> and guess what? None of those were actually for me. Yeah. Now, yeah. you might go, but Chris, you train all the time. I'm tra- like, literally, before we did the, before we jumped on here, I came straight from the gym. Yeah. And, but I did the gym for me. I didn't do it for anybody else. Yes, I have goals. Yes, I have ambitions. Yes, I want it to help me to be able to, you know, show my followers that, you know, what you're capable of. But I do it for me nobody else it has to whereas in the past i did it because i wanted to get into aos i did it so that i was a better cop i did it so that i could show up better and i could take care of the people around me yeah yeah they're all external it's not me well it's like you said creating your why it's simple but why are you doing this first and foremost you have to do it for yourself yeah because if you're not taking care of yourself how are you going to be 100 percent for other people right exactly exactly if your tank if your tank's not full or at least above 85, 90%, every time you interact with somebody, it will drain you. Whereas if it is up in a, if it's up in that 85, 90%, absolutely. It's actually going to fill you back. It's going to fill that 15 to 10, that 10 to 15% because you're now going, you're now turning up because you get to not because you have to. Absolutely. My friend, Chris, if people want to reach out to you, brother, what's the easiest way that they can reach out to you, have them come. Or have you come speak to their agency or individually? Yeah, so the best way is probably through either LinkedIn or Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and, and that as well. Uh, but my both of them is just Chris Chandler Yates. Pretty easy. It's a double barrel last name uh, on Instagram. <laughs> there's no spaces. Uh, and on 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 LinkedIn, there's a there's a hyphen in between Chandler and Yates. So those are probably the two best ways. Uh, also, for any of your listeners that ride motorcycles, we're running a retreat in Ooh. may um through from arizona starting in sedona all the way up through utah yep through utah through colorado new mexico back to sedona seven days 1300 miles uh Ooh. full vip rental everything well when you get down to arizona dude we, we have to hook up i could buy you lunch yeah, or definitely. something yeah for, for sure. sure man but yeah so we're doing that so you can find details on that um on the website it's create from y.com forward slash l-i-i-t usa and that one's going to be fun because we're going to teach all the burnout prevention tools yeah. while we ride motorcycles and see cool scenery. And I'm mean, definitely catching up with a lot. I know a lot of people in Phoenix and I'm yeah. where we're, I'm going to be staying for a couple of days before. So yeah, brother, yeah. you got to look, you got to hook, look me up when you're down here, man. I'd love to, to get yeah. together and meet you in person, man. Yeah. So different ways to get in touch with me, just literally Instagram and LinkedIn. And then we can, we can talk from there. Cool. Chris Yates. Thank you so much, brother. Everything we talk about is going to be linked up in the show notes. If you're in Phoenix, when Chris is here, you got to look him up. 
Yeah, definitely. And I'm yeah. always looking for, I'm looking for departments. You know, I, I run a YouTube channel as well with all the different free trainings and that. So little yeah. videos, also podcasts, fight the burnout with which Patrick you've been on. Yes. Uh, and yeah, so you, you can get all the free stuff. My drive and direction now is really getting into the department so that the user doesn't have to pay. The department helps train them up because we're trained how to take somebody to the ground. We're trained how to shoot, but we're not trained how to prevent PTSD. And that's what I'm all about. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. As uh, always, everybody take care out there, Chris. Thank you, brother. Can't wait to meet you, you in person. I hope everybody is having a great day. Until next time. Thank you. Such an inspiring and motivational show with Chris Yates. If you love the audio podcast, you're going to love the video of this very good show. Check out the CJ Evolution podcast channel on YouTube right now. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.